Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We good? Hi, Mike. Thank you. We're going to try that one again anyway. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good morning. Is it about a perfect day outside or is it me? Wow. All right. I, apparently, we've got to do some warming up here this morning. Okay. So it's interesting. The nine o'clock group, man, they were jumping from the word go. Why is it those of you who got to sleep in this morning are coming in a little groggy? Is there a reason for this? Got this gorgeous day today. Today is so gorgeous. In fact, I'm not watching football. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about that for a minute. I am not going to turn the game on today. I don't, well, the Bills aren't playing, so that helps. But uh, <laughs> they're on a bye week. <laughs> Thank you very much. That takes a lot of self-control right there. All right. So one of the things that um, Jeff mentioned um, briefly was what transpired on our property um, or, as I had an individual tell me, which I absolutely loved, the Lord's property um, this weekend. And we had l- lots of folks. It was awesome to minister to people from all over the community. Um, we got to minister in lots of creative ways, if you can imagine. And um, so it's the idea of being forgiven of sin. Go ahead, Kathy. Oh, it's too late now, lady. Come on. What I asked you to talk about was how, how good is it to have been forgiven? Yeah, well, you guys are so awesome, I don't know that you needed to be. So that's the problem over in this corner. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to me in regard to having been forgiven and do we understand the depth we've been forgiven? Are we, do we remain in view of the depth of that forgiveness? Because our ability to remain in view of the mercy of God as he reflects on our brokenness and our sin will determine truly how we treat one another. So the whole idea would be this. There's a wonderful little story about a woman who came to anoint Jesus' feet, you know? And in the anointing of the feet, she did so with her tears and her hair. Says that he was eating with a Pharisee And a woman, a sinner, came in and began to weep behind Jesus. And as she wept, she wept. I mean, think about this. We think, okay, she washed his feet with her tears. Do you know what kind of weeping goes into shedding those kinds of tears? Mm. This isn't, I got moist. This isn't, I had, no, this is weeping flowing tears for a reason. She recognized the depth of her sin. And as profoundly as she recognized the depth of her sin, she then could realize the depth of her forgiveness. And in realizing the depth of that forgiveness, she was then capable, had a capacity for love that's beyond our imagination. Because how Jesus sews that story together at the end is that he says, Simon, you know, I came into your house. You didn't offer me water for my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. And yet she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She has not stopped kissing my feet. When I came into your house, you didn't give me oil for my head. 
as shit, yet she has not stopped blessing me. Simon, the one who has been forgiven little, loves little. The one who's been forgiven much, loves much. If we don't understand the crux of that story, then it's incredibly difficult for us to understand what it is to actually love with having in mind how it is that we've been loved. See, in the middle of that story, Simon says something in his head. <laughs> he said, you know, if this were truly a prophet, if this Jesus guy were really who everyone seems to think that he is, he'd know that the woman touching him right now is a sinner. That's when Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something about this moment. Let me share with you. That's why in Romans 12, Paul says to us, in order for us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to him, and that that would be our spiritual act of worship, we must be in view of his grace. We must be in view of his mercy. In view of God's mercy, now offer your body as a living sacrifice. In view of the mercy you have received, now you offer your body back to him. So, where are we today? We're gonna get back in view. We're gonna get back in view. So what we've been talking about recently is we've been talking about how do we function as a body and how do we develop relationships of truly loving relationships where we have people in our lives who can speak loving truth to us, who are merciful toward us, not by pretending we didn't do anything wrong, but are willing to meet us in the midst of our wrong and still treat us with grace and mercy and love us and walk us on a path back to righteousness. So when Peter says what we're to do is to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin, it's never about sweeping things under the rug. It isn't. It's about loving somebody enough to actually love them in a way that love loves, which is not sentimentality, and it's not necessarily nice, and it doesn't even necessarily feel good, but it affects the life of the loved. Once the life of the one who's loving has already been affected, because I can only love you as I love myself, and I can only love myself as I love God. So as I receive mercy from God and recognize the depth of my sin that he covered for me, I'm humbled before him, and I learn to love myself in such a way as to receive that mercy, to grow in that love, that I may now love the way I've been loved. And although the moment may not feel good, and it may be unpleasant at the time, or embarrassing, or so we're here and there's benefit, and we're constructing. That's the beauty of the type of relationships we're talking about. In fact, I'm gonna speak about one of those relationships today. So this is what I wanna do. Open your notes, get your notes, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at what it is that we have here. You're also gonna need a Bible, or a gadget on which you read the Bible, right? So, here we go. We're going to the notes. So it says, if you would with me, it says, what I wrote here was, the mercy of, we are to act in such a way as to be merciful, right? Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. He also says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And what was that, that you would offer mercy? Because he, he sheds light on and reigns on the fields of the wicked and the evil. 
as well as the good. So we are to do the same. So to be like our Father, we are merciful like our Father. So mercy of the one who has received mercy, treating others as we have been treated, loving as we have been loved, extending mercy to others as it has been extended to us, granting us the gift of grace, granting the gift of grace to others as it's been granted to us. That grace, that mercy is forgiveness. This is a gift that truly keeps on giving if we're willing, if we're willing, if we're willing to give it. So do me a favor, turn to Luke, if you would, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now, as you find Luke chapter 11, we'll be at verses 1 through 4. What I had Jeff do is I had us recite the Lord's Prayer. We don't do that very often, probably not often enough, but there's an anchor verse in the midst of that prayer that I want us to reflect on. And before we go there, though, there's a devotional I want to read to you that I received from a friend of mine. So I have this friend who I've been friends with for 28 years now. 28 years! And every week he punches me in the stomach. Every week. What do I mean by that? Well, he lives in Florida. Well, how can he punch you in the stomach? He sends me a devotional every Tuesday. And every, every Tuesday, it's like, oh. And he's just reminding me of what it is to walk like Jesus. And he's challenging me to, to consider my character and my nature. He's, he's, he's challenging me in regard to how I live out my faith. Which is, by the way, almost never perfect. Almost never. So I need the reminders. And so a couple weeks ago, he sent me one, and I, when I saw, you know how the banner comes across the phone when it first comes up, I saw what it was about, and I said, I'm, I'm not reading that one. I'm going to avoid this one. And I did, for an entire week. And he tried to call me, and I didn't answer. Here he goes. So this is what he sent to me. And remarkably... Have anyone ever give you a book and they tell you how great a book it is and they give it to you eagerly, but in your head you're going, on the outside you're saying, hey, thanks. On the inside you're going, I'm not reading this book. I'm not reading this book. Thank you, but I'm not going to read the book. And you put it on your desk, you put it on your end table, you put it on your shelf, and you don't look at it. You just want to see a glimpse at it and you hope, well, you hope the person who gave me that book doesn't ask me if I've read that book. Then for some reason you see the book and it just jumps out at you and it's almost like it's just coming off the shelf at you and you've got to grab it and you look at it. And when you have finally read it, you go, oh my goodness, this is magnificent. But also in reading it, you realize that if you had read it when they gave it to you, it would not have touched you the way it's touching you now. That's not to say that every book we get we ought not read until, right? What it is to say is that there are times when something's given to us, and when it's given to us and you get a glimpse of it, there's something inside of you that's saying, no. And it could be wisdom from the Holy Spirit to say no, but it could also be, ah, I see what's coming and I ain't doing that. Or I'm not ready for that. Or for so, it's just, mm, this is one of those times. And so when I did read it, finally, it paralyzed me because it hit me exactly where I needed to be hit, just the way I needed to be hit, just when I needed to be hit. And if I had read it before, I would not have received it. I, couldn't, I don't even know if I would have understood it. But after having read it, it has troubled me ever since. So we're talking about forgiveness and the idea of forgiving one another. We're talking about building relationships within the confines of the body that allow you to speak into each other's lives lovingly and mercifully and graciously and truthfully 
that you have someone here, one, two, three people who you can kind of build relationship with and cling to and who has permission to and you have permission to speak into each other's lives. This is what Paul meant in Ephesians when he said speak the truth and love to one another. Remind each other who you are in Christ. Remind each other. Remind each other about God's promises. Remind each other. Remind each other about the righteousness that you are. Remind each other. Remind each other about how we're to live that righteousness out. Don't be afraid to go to one another when you've built that kind of relationship and say, listen, I see you're struggling in a certain area. Can we walk? Or, hey, I'm struggling in an area. Would you walk with me? I will tell you, the more honestly you walk your life, the more often people are going to see the things that are honestly about you. So that I will warn you about. If you're fairly transparent, and you're pretty honest, and you're not afraid to be you, the onslaught's coming, but it has to be okay. But the other side of it is learn from it and grow from it. Repent. Change the way you're living. So, we're going there, but I think it's important we go somewhere else first. And that is to say that not all hurt that happens between brothers and sisters in Christ is sin. So the idea of forgiving one another is the idea that I have sinned against you or you against me, and we're, we're called to conf- not, I, I, the word confront is the correct word, but we use it in such a negative, with such a negative connotation. But the idea is to go to them. Go to them, have the conversation. But the other side of it is, is the hurt within the confines of the body is not always sin. And we need to recognize that. My friend didn't sin against me by sending a devotional to me that would hurt me. It hurt me. But it hurt in the best way. Now, this is not your notes, so bear with me as I read it. <laughs> he said, dear friend, God God can never make us whine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us with. Let me say that again. God can never make us whine if we, I want to make sure I say this correctly, just remind me, my iPad will travel with me. Can you just remind me of that? God can never make us whine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us with. I want us to think about that for a minute. We are grapes. In order to make wine, we have to be crushed. It's usually the people in our lives and the circumstances we find ourselves in that does the crushing, that are the finger and the thumb that squeeze. How often, how often do we object to the one, the person they would use, or the circumstance we find ourselves in? Listen closely. God can never make us whine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us. If God would only use his own fingers, if I could just see him and hear his voice and know that this is him personally coming to me and squeezing me now, that's special. Right? That's what we want. We want it to be Jesus standing in front of us. We want to have a manifestation of the Spirit. We want it to be God the Father and his voice right there. Because if he's the one squeezing, I can trust it. But do we realize that he uses the fingers of each other to be the trusting finger and thumb to do the crushing? And that's what the body of Christ is actually about. God can never make us whine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us. 
If God would only use his own fingers and make me broken bread and poured out wine in a special way. But when he uses someone who we dislike or some set of circumstances to which we said we would never submit and he makes those the crushers, we object. I can tell you, I was sitting there reading this, not a happy man. Picturing all the people and all the circumstances and all the things that God uses to be the finger and thumb to crush me, to make me whine, and thinking, really? Really? This is what you're going to do? This is who you're going to use? This is, oh, anybody? Anyone ever feel that way? Golly. It gets better. We must never choose the scene of our own martyrdom. It's not ours to choose where it is we get crucified or on what shape the cross is or what nails will pierce us or who gets to swing the hammer. Mm. That's not for us to say. It's not ours to choose. It is by God's wisdom. It's truly by God's mercy. It's by God's grace. It's by his will. It's by his purposes. It's for his glory. It's for our good. And it's the benefit for, for all who would see and receive the effect of the crushing. I was not a fan of that line. That's why I didn't read it. That's why I wouldn't read it. That's why I had to read it. And that's why when I finally read it, I thought, oh, there it is. There it is. We must never choose the scene of our own martyrdom. If ever we're going to be made into wine, we will have to be crushed, and you cannot drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they have been squeezed. I wonder what kind of finger and thumb God has been using to squeeze you, and you have been like a marble and you've escaped. You're not ripe yet, and if God had squeezed you, the wine would have been remarkably bitter. Keep right with God and let him do what he likes and you will find that he is producing the kind of bread and wine that will benefit not just you but his other children. It'll benefit the body. This runs in line with Philippians 2 when he says do everything without complaining and grumbling. Giving God your opinion about where he has you and with whom and what he's trying to do. You instead work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's working in you to will and act according to his purposes. So when you and I will recognize that I'm in this moment, that he has me right here, there are people in my life who, with whom and by whom he's doing all the squeezing, if we will relent, if we will humbly give him and we'll submit ourselves, will be 
wine. We'll be made wine. And we'll benefit those around us. We will be like stars shining in the universe as we hold out the words for life. So why do I, why do I go there? Because I want us to see that sometimes in the body of Christ, it's not sin that is difficulty between believers. It's the fact that we're just bumping into each other. It's the fact that our lives rub against each other. It's the fact that there are things about me and things about you that for whatever reason God has brought together that aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but are causing us to have to be patient, causing for us to have to be gracious, causing for us to have to be forgiving, causing us just to be, to be loving, to grow, to be tolerant, to be appreciative, to respect and to honor, to celebrate somebody that's not me or not like me. Oh, that's the miracle of the body of Christ, that we're all different parts. We're all, we all come from different places. We all have different gifts and different talents and different personalities, different senses of humor. We all have different perspectives. And they're going to rub into each other. Even though it's not sin between brothers and sisters, it is a matter of being squished and crushed and challenged. And we have to discern the difference. We have to know when that's true. Dean didn't sin against me by sending me this. And yet all the juice is beginning to come out of me because I feel the squeeze. And then it opened my eyes to see the people he's using to squeeze me. And frankly, I'm not real fond of that. Then he's reminding me of the circumstances that he's in and it's according to his will that I'm in the circumstance and if I would just sit still with him as I work out my salvation with him, I will realize having been created in Christ Jesus, this right now, this moment is a work prepared in advance for me to do. Or I can decide to conform to my old thinking and go, eh, and miss out on God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I apply the grace apportioned to me for this moment to something I want to do. Hmm, then wonder why I'm frustrated. Wonder why I'm stunted in my growth. Wonder why my peace is fleeting. Wonder why my wisdom is drained. Am I making sense this morning? Yeah. Because if we're not careful, we'll view this as intrusive, squishy thumb and finger <laughs> upon our hearts. When in fact, this thing never sins against us, but never stops squeezing us in God's gracious desire to, to make us wine. And it's true of the body. You okay, my friend? <laughs> you need a drink? Okay, I don't mind running to get you one. All right. Did, oh, wait, oh, speaking of which, I heard people didn't get notes, but I think I left them in the office. Did people not get notes this morning? We good? Okay, all right. So here we go. So this is what we need to do. We need to go to Luke chapter 11 because now we're going to transition. We're going to transition into this idea of having sinned against one another because that happens too. That happens too. That we might sin against each other or one of us may see another person in sin or somebody might, might see me in sin. And what has to happen? We have to love each other enough to have that confrontation. And I don't mean confrontation, punch them in the mouth confrontation. I mean that brutal moment where you know you have to say something to somebody and your stomach tightens up and you just, ah, and you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. But if you love them and you love the body enough, you do it. Or you let them do that to you. Ah. So, I had Jeff 
lead us through the Lord's Prayer. If we start at verse one, it says this. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Father, I see you for who you are and the good Father that you are. You are holy and lifted high, worthy of our worship and obedience. You are the hand from which all of my provision comes. Now forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. Here it is. Here it is. As we, we are forgiven when we forgive. Now does that mean we're not forgiven? No. When we come to Christ, everything we've ever done, everything we do, are doing now, everything we'll ever be are forgiven in the sense that those sins are not held against us with regard to our salvation. But that's not to say that the realization of the sin that we commit does not ride high in our gullet. In other words, it will create distress. And my ability to be relieved of the distress of my own sin runs perfectly in line and correlates perfectly with my ability to forgive others of their sin. So the realization, the peace that I receive and the, the sense of tranquility that comes and the restoration that I so desire, all of that will be fully realized only when I forgive someone who's sinned against me. It is not that I am not forgiven from, again, an eternal perspective. I am. What it means is there will be stress and dis-ease between me and my God, who I've sinned against, and me and the person that I refuse to forgive. That stress will remain. The tension will be there. It gets worse than that. We're going to look at that in a moment. So what Jesus is saying, he's imploring his disciples, listen, look how basic this, I mean, think about all the things that Jesus could have put in this prayer and didn't. It's a really basic prayer. And so when he, this is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, this would go on. Because I, I, yeah, I say this periodically, and I want us to remember this. When Jesus was teaching his disciples something, it wasn't merely to teach them. He was not unaware of the fact that his disciples would then go on and teach the churches, and that the churches two millennia away would still be reading the same words, hearing the same words, learning the same things. And this is what he said. This is what he chose to say. This is not how, only how he was teaching his disciples to pray, but he was training them how to be pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers, church planters. He's saying, this is how we pray. This is how we pray. Look what he says. And he picks four things, four things. Father, he's your daddy. He is. Romans tells us that we have a spirit in us that calls out Abba. You are holy and majestic and worthy of our praise. And may your kingdom, my majestic, my, my majestic king, come. Provide for us everything we need. You are the great provider. The psalmist says that you, you feed everything in its time. Then the next two have to do with forgiveness and sin. Forgive me, Lord God, when I forgive others. 
and walk me through temptation. Don't lead me to temptation, and God can't. He says he cannot be tempted, and neither does he tempt. But he knows we will be. Walk me through it. Give me the wisdom to walk around it, to avoid it, the skill to navigate. Isn't it beautiful how simple those prayers are? But it tells you how important those four elements are. And that is, he is setting up his kingdom, his church here on earth. He's saying one of, the, one of the most important aspects I want you to understand is forgiveness. What did we open with? What is it to be forgiven? Do we relish being forgiven? Do we recognize the depth of our sin? Therefore, the depth of our forgiveness and therefore the, the capacity of, to love. So, Go to Matthew 18, if you would. And this story is designed to teach us such a lesson. We're going to start at verse 21. You ready? You there? All right, here we go. What did I say? Verse one, 18, verse 21? All right, thank you. Well, that was, who said that? Well, thank you. All right, where are we? 1821? Is that what I said? Okay, so here we go. It's an ADD moment. Bear with me, bear with me. It says, then Peter came to Jesus. When did Peter come to Jesus? Look at verse 15. Jesus is saying, if your brother sins against you, have that conversation. Have the conversation. Work through it with them. Take the time and the effort. Express the mercy, the grace, and the love to talk through the offense. If he won't listen, or she won't listen, or you won't listen, gather up a couple more loved ones. We'll talk some more. Work it out. If it still doesn't come, well, then... It needs to be bigger than that. Look what it goes on to say now. Verse 18. It says, I tell you the truth. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two or more agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. For two or three or more gathered, there I am too in agreement with you. Peter, hearing this, turns to Jesus and says, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? How many times? And he answers. You know, when somebody asks you a question then answers it before you can answer, what they're trying to do is validate something on the inside. They're trying to somehow either justify themselves or prove their piety or you know, to show you how smart they are. I have a podcast that I listen to about the Buffalo Bills, go figure. And th there's one guy who interviews like the guys I want to hear who asks the question, it takes him 15 minutes, then answers the question, and then the guy he's interviewing gets to say two words. And I finally just throw my phone across the room. I'm like, I, stop it. We have a tendency to do this. Peter is being beautifully human, and, and he hears the story about, okay, you, we're to forgive one another, and we're to talk to each other about it, and we're to work through these things together, and Peter gets this kind of, okay, well, how many times do I have to do that? How many times do I have to forgive my brother? 
Seven times? And Peter's trying to do some things here. One, he's trying to show Jesus how righteous he is and how pious he is, because seven is the number of completion. It's the perfect number. It's considered finished. He's trying to show Jesus that maybe he knows, and, and, and I've forgiven people before, and I'm willing to. I love Jesus' response. Oh, Peter, seven times? I say 77 times. 77 times. In other words, it's endless. It's boundless. There's no end to the number of times you forgive. Look what he goes on to say now. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Verse 23, he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. This is an astronomical amount of money. We can't even begin to fathom how much this is. The debt is so enormous, there's no possible way that anyone could pay this back. So I want us to think about this for a minute. He says when the, when the master, he was going to settle his accounts. Anyone here have a mortgage on their house? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Do you know in the fine print it says that the bank can call you on your mortgage at any time and you have to be able to pay it? Does anybody know that? Yeah, we don't think about that one much, do we? No, because for the most part, that doesn't happen to us. It happened then, and it can happen now. So this is how I want us to relate to this. Again, listen to what Jesus is saying here. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was what? Brought to him. Hold it, stop. Okay, so this is like you got home from work and you've had your, you bought your dream house and you, you kind of spent a little bit more money than you should have and you're kind of up to your eyeballs in debt, but you're able to make the payments and you've been in it now a year or two and you're hoping to get a little bit of equity and, and, and everything's established. And all of a sudden you get a letter in the mail that says, you know, the bank needs to settle accounts. I want you to think about what that feels like on, in your belly. Uh, you have a meeting October 3rd at 9 o'clock. Anybody? Anyone feel that right now? Because it gets better than that. Well, let's read on for a minute. As he began the settlement, as he began the settlement, so a man was brought to him. Now, where do you think he was to be brought to him? They didn't go to his house to get him. He had an appointment. You know what you do when you go to an appointment? You sit and what? Wait. And what are you thinking about while you're waiting? Anyone here ever been to the principal's office? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know that feeling? The waiting's always worse than the actual appointment. This man is waiting, and all his debt is beginning to roll around in his head, and his stomach is getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and he knows how much he owes. Look what it says next, though. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, oh, and his wife, oh, and his children all be sold to repay the debt. 
So it's one thing to have received this letter. It's another thing to be waiting in line. It's a third thing now to be standing in front of the one who owe you owe the, all this to. And it's still another to know all this time you can't pay. It's another thing to find out that when your house gets sold, if your wife and your children are in it, they go too. They go too. And the weight comes crashing down and the recognition of the debt and the enormity of the debt begins to crush you. And you would do the exact same thing this man did. Bless you. Look what it says. Said the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity, took pity on him and canceled the debt. He saved your farm. He let you keep your wife and children. Not only did he say, he didn't say, I'm, I'll drop your payments. He didn't say, I'll lower your interest rate. He didn't say, I'll give you more time. That I'll cancel your debt. It's finished. It's done. Can anyone imagine what that would feel like? The relief, the peace, the jubilation, the appreciation, the gratitude. Not this guy. Look what he's going to say. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he went to him and he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. A hundred bucks? Psh, I can afford that. You keep it. Is that what he said? Mm -mm. Don't worry, I'll give you a little bit more time and I'll tell you, let me cut it back to 50 bucks. And you just, when you get it, is that what he did? No. Mm -mm. He grabbed him and he choked him. He shook him. He said, pay me back. If you can't pay me back, I'll have you arrested. Mm -hmm. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants, what's that next word? When the other servants what? What's it say? Help me out. Saw this. They were what? They were what? They were distressed. They were distressed. They were diseased. This is a really important moment for us. And believe me when I say this, our sin never happens in a vacuum, ever. And the conflict between brothers is never not seen. And what it produces insidiously is distress, dis-ease, peace. And sometimes you don't even know what's happened. You ever been to walk into a room and, and you don't know what's happening, but you, the minute you walk in, you know there's something wrong? Like, uh, like, and you wish you could take three steps back and they didn't see you walk in. Anybody? Have you ever, you know, and you're wondering what in the world's going on here? Ever been part of the distress, like the maker of the stress? When somebody walks in and they walk in on you, and uh, that's what's happening. The servants all saw what was happening. They heard what was happening. What did Jesus say? Listen, I, I'm, you are the light of the world, and I put you on a hill, and you cannot not be seen. I'm lighting you like a lamp, and you don't light a lamp to put it under a bushel. You put it up on its stand. You will be seen. 
There's nothing you do that happens in the dark that will not come out in the light. There's nothing you can say in secret that won't get to the king's ears. See, the other servants saw it and they were distressed. We need to recognize that our sin is not just between me and God, it's not just between me and a brother or sister, that those things affect the people around us and it creates distress. We are a body put together for the purpose of the edification of one another, mutual concern for one another. And the Holy Spirit courses through us in ways, not only in in terms of our own personal being, but in, in regard to the entirety of the church, that when one part suffers, the whole part, the whole church suffers. When one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. And that is the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. And that's, how, that's true between a small group of believers, it's true between a local body of believers, and it's true across the actual fullness of the church. The great joy and privilege we have is the mercy that's been expressed to us and that we've received, recognizing the depth of that forgiveness. Having been forgiven much, I now can love much, and I have the privilege of offering you the same and you to me. And the health of the body will have everything to, everything to do with whether or not we can have those conversations. And they're not easy conversations to have. They're not. They're not. I don't like them. Anyone else here like them? No. Band, get in place if you would, please. So what is it that we're called to? We're called to this mutuality. We're called to recognize our effect on one another. Today, I want us to see that not every hurt that happens between believers is a sin. Sometimes it's just God using each other to squeeze, to push, to prod, to pull, to make us, turn us from a grape into wine. Sometimes it is sin, and at that moment, we have to have those conversations. We have to be willing to sit down. It's a squeeze too. It's a squeeze too. But the biggest thing I want us to recognize is this, is the depth of the love that we've been given. The depth of our sin, which made the depth of our forgiveness, which is the depth of God's mercy, which creates a depth of love. You guys good? Okay, all right. Oh, that's okay. Band, get in place if you would, please. I'm done. (laughs) Believe me. Is this making sense this morning? We're going to go into communion. And as we go into communion, we're going to be singing a song. And during that song, it is time for us to reflect on the things that allow the Holy Spirit to raise up for us, those things that are contrary, those things that are hurting us or we're hurting others. I'll go get the band. (laughs) What was that? I guess, well, they could very well be. You heard what I spoke on today, right? You you guys ready? Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll read this now while we're waiting for to give those guys some space. But this, this is what I want to do. My friend in Florida was watching the first service, which he does every week. And as I'm discussing this devotional that he sent to me, I waved at him and reminded him what big a jerk he is, that he would do this to me every week. And that I would not read the devotional that he sent me until it was time. And then I didn't want to receive his phone calls, and so I wouldn't answer. It's, it's much like the one we're hearing right now. <laughs> what, what, what is going on here today? Who's, whose phone is ringing? <laughs> Who is it? I'm going to come back there and bite your cheek. Okay. We good now? Are we all right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, in the midst of what is my, at least, oh, oh, thank you. Where'd they come from? Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm just throwing everything around today. In the midst of my general confession today, in regard to my own humanity and sin sinfulness, and rem being reminded of my need to take responsibility for the things I do, or the people I avoid, or the conversations I don't wanna have, whether it's me going to another or another coming to me. Dean is listening to this. He's hearing me say, I'm not reading your stinking devotional. I'm not answering your phone calls. It took weeks. And this is what he said to me. He says, hey, young man. He's 10 years my senior. Love you, man. And had to laugh, to, laugh at today's message. That Oswald Chamber Devo is always in, on my mind in every circumstance I encounter that crushes me. It is very poignant to me. What is hilarious is God told me to call you periodically, and he even told me that you wouldn't answer. <laughs> but I was to keep calling. And I was to call you anyway. So it was like he is trapping you in some kind of a corner and I am clueless to why, and really I'm amazed at the impact of, the de of that Devo and those phone calls. God works in mysterious ways. He treasures our obedience and not dismissal when, when ideas enter our head. I pray that you have resolution and, un and are unleashed from the crushing and become the nourishment to others that he means you to be. I love you, man. I hate him. You ever have a hate-love relationship with somebody? Notice I said hate first. <laughs> now, this is a man I have a love-hate relationship with. He is a finger and a thumb that God has put on my life for 28 years. I'm sick of him. <laughs> Just sick of him. But I would encourage us all to have someone in our life who we love and hate at the same time that we develop over the course of years, that we know each other so well and so deeply and we care about each other so much that we're willing to say to each other, I love you more than I love my relationship with you and this is what I'm seeing in you and this has gotta happen. Because as much as you hate those moments, the wine that pours out, once you relent, once you're ripe and you're not, you've been spending time with God and allowing him to work on you and then he brings the right thumb and finger to crush you, that you're not that hard marble that shoots across the room or the bitter grape that doesn't make good wine. I want you to have those relationships. 
If you don't have one, two, three of those, find them, cultivate them. That is the church. That is being a brother and a sister. That is the hard work. That is, by the way, the testimony of the church to a dying world. The fact that he can take such disparate people with such different opinions and positions and, and privileges and politics and ideas and perceptions and wet us together like a body that we would affect each other so deeply and so profoundly. That's a miracle. And still love each other afterward? That's just dumb. It's dumb. Remember, the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross. So we're gonna go to communion. And we're all gonna lament. And we're all gonna be challenged. Then we're all gonna have that moment where we realize that the banker's calling something I need you to pay. Not that we would be punished, but that we would receive mercy. See, this banker offers mercy every time you show up. There's always trepidation, always fear, there's always concern, there's always this moment of, oh my goodness, what's he gonna do to me? What's he gonna ask of me? Who's he gonna use to do it? And why am I here anyway? But when you finally have the courage to go in, there's mercy every time every time and he knows the fight that's why he wrote this story for us he knows the fight he knows our propensity he knows our fears he knows our anxieties he knows our concerns he knows our stubbornness he knows our pride he knows our unwillingness to relent he knows our unwillingness to get in the word and be in prayer so that we finally ripen up so that when the finger finally comes down on the thumb that we are actually wine and sweet at that he knows all of that, all of it. And every one of us, just as each one of us is, he's that particular, he's that peculiar, he knows us each that well, and he's always on time. Even if the book sat on the shelf for two years, when you finally pick it up, it's like, oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. So as we sing, allow the Spirit to examine your heart. If there's something to confess, confess it. If there's something to let go of, let go of it. If there's a hurt that you thought was sin, maybe the brother was, or the sister wasn't sinning against you. Maybe it's just two lives rubbing up against each other, getting squeezed. And if there is sin, deal with it. Gently, respectfully, graciously, but deal with it. Amen. Stand and sing. After we've sung the song and you're ready, please come forward and get the elements and take them back to your seat.